May we praise you for this. May we worship you because of this. And Lord, we know that we are not the only church gathered this morning, that churches have gathered already around the world and will continue to gather all the way through the West Coast and Hawaii this morning. Father, Lord, we want to pray for those other churches as they have gathered or are at the result online gathering. Father, Lord, we pray for many of the churches that have continued to struggle together in fighting this virus, Father, Lord, we, we pray for uh, small, unknown pastors that, uh, even such as myself, Lord, that uh, we labor faithfully, Lord, we don't have all the resources that are our hands, Lord, but Lord, we want to be faithful in what you have given us, Lord. So I, I pray for these fellow pastors. I pray for these unknown churches, uh, Lord, that, that are often felt to be thought of. So, Father, Lord, we, we pray for them. I, I think of one brother in, in, East, or in Central Tennessee, Lord, who uh, they're having to do drive-in services for the next few weeks due to COVID upswing there in Middle Tennessee. And, and God, I, I pray for my brother Matt. I pray for him as he preaches and continues to lead his church faithfully. Lord, help him to be faithful to the gospel. Help him to labor to build up his church there. And Father, Lord, we, we pray that you will do this. Father, Lord, we also want to pray for our missionaries around the world. We want to pray for those missionaries that are serving in the northern horn of Africa. Lord, in, in hard, hard places. Lord, in places where uh, a missionary could be killed they were found out why they were really there. So, Father, Lord, we, we pray for these brothers and sisters laboring there in places uh, of Egypt and, and uh, many other nations there around the northern one there uh, on, on the western northern part of Africa, or eastern part. Father, Lord, we pray that you will be with our brothers and sisters, that you will help strengthen them and sustain them, help give them open doors, even as we'll look at this morning, for gospel opportunities, and help them to be clear with the gospel. Lord, prepare hearts ahead of time to receive the gospel. Father, Lord, we pray that you will do the work there. Father, Lord, we also want to uh, continue to pray for those in authority over us. You have called us uh, to, to pray for them. And God, we want to pray, Lord, for uh, our, our local authorities. Father, Lord, we want to pray for even those that do public service. So we want to pray this morning for our local police officers. Lord, we want to pray for our local uh, paramedics. And uh, Lord, we want to pray for our local firefighters, Lord, who, who lay down their lives to go in and, and sacrifice uh, to protect the community. Father, Lord, we thank you for them and the job that they do. We pray, Lord, that you will help them to to carry out the task that you have given them, Lord, uh, with uh, hearts that uh, realize the strength and ability has been given to them by you, and Lord, that they would lay down their lives in the way that you have called them, Lord, and help them to protect the community around them. Lord, help us this morning as we turn to the preaching of the word to quiet our hearts and still our minds so that we may focus on you. Father, be with us. Do the work in our hearts. Lord, help me to, to proclaim your truth. And may it go forth and not return void by working not only in my heart, but the hearts of those present this morning. 
in the maturity of faith. Father, Lord, we thank you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, this morning we come to the end of the book of Colossians. Since I began officially as pastor on October 11th, we have heard nothing but from the book of Colossians. But as we study this book, we've learned a lot. We've seen that Christ is the one who is supreme over all. And today we come to, to Paul's closing statements to close out this letter to the church of Colossae. Thankfully, Paul is better than most of us when it comes to, to conversations and uh, letters that we wait until the last five minutes of the conversation to get out what really is the heart of the purpose of the meeting. Think of how many times this happens as, as we had meetings and different things or a phone call. It's like, oh yeah, I know you gotta go, but by the way, I've got this and I've got that and this. I thought we were wrapping up, not continuing on for now. But Paul's a little more strategic than most of us in that. And you can get off me the first time I do that and say everything for the last five minutes too. Uh, I need to be more strategic like Paul here. But as he pulls out this letter, it's not a random, it's not a, a random bunch of thoughts. It's very strategic. And that's what I hope we see as we read this. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up with me to Colossians chapter 4, beginning in verse 2, whether a physical copy or a digital copy. Hear the word of the Lord. Colossians 4, 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Titus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one with you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you, and for those in Laodicea and in Heracles. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demon. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea, and to Nympha, and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea, and say to Rippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. As we read through this, it, it does seem at first glance that this is like most of us in our conversations, kind of rattling off a bunch of things.
But I think it will slow down as we go back through this. We'll see that Paul is much more strategic. We, we see in this passage that there are three commands given to us. We, we see the fact of that we're to continue steadfastly in prayer is the first. We see the second that we're called to walk in wisdom toward outsiders. And the third one is all the way down in verse 18, which is, remember my chains. These are all the imperatives or, or commands that are given to us. But outside of that, we see all of these readings. And even before we get there in our third point, look at how these are described. We, we see those that are of Jewish Christian background. They grew up as Jews, but they're circumcised. So there's a few of those. There's those outside who are Gentiles. But then you have uh, there of Onesimus. Onesimus was called a faithful brother, and yet Onesimus is the slave we read about in the book of Philemon. And nothing mentioned there. But then we have another brother who is free and yet called a slave, a servant of Jesus Christ. Notice here, this is pointing us how the gospel, the, the very hope of this gospel has brought people from every background, every social status together for the sake of its mission. Namely, declaring our king who has come, which again is why we celebrate Christmas. This king brings people from every different background together. And that's what I want us to see most this morning. So if I've understood this text, if I've studied it and then doing this whole preaching and writing, for the main point of the text <coughs> is the main point of the sermon, it's this. Christian, as we strive towards the maturity of faith, we must be devoted to prayer, walk in wisdom towards the outside world, and be united in Christ. Let me repeat that again. If you're going to write anything down like this. Christian, as we strive towards the maturity of faith, we must be devoted to prayer, walking in wisdom towards the outside world, and being united in Christ. I'm going to unfold this in three points that flow just from that. Be constant in prayer. Second point, be walking in wisdom. Third point, be united in Christ. So let's look at this called be constant in prayer. It's the first command there in 4.2. Continue steadfastly in prayer being watchful in it with thanksgiving. So Paul and Timothy, in the opening of this letter, have said that they are praying to God, thanking him for the Colossian faith. And then in, in verses 9 through 14, they pray more specifically for them to grow in that knowledge, to grow in the knowledge of God's will, to be fully pleasing to him, to grow to live and apply the word in their everyday lives. And now, Paul is turning it over and saying, we pray for you, now you need to pray. But not only do you need to pray, you need to be, continue steadfastly in prayer. What does it mean, steadfast? The idea here of steadfast means long-enduring, long-suffering, consistent. Or another way, a better way of putting it, is giving ourselves to prayer or fulfilling our lives in prayer. Being busy with prayer. This isn't just something we do when convenient. It's being called for 
for us to be busy about this task. We are to be busy about prayer because it's more vital than most of us ever think. Most of us will, will say, oh yeah, we need to be in the Bible, but how often do we think we actually need to be in prayer? And more importantly, why is that? And that's what we're going to unfold with you. So, as we think about this, of giving ourselves to prayer or, or wavering to prayer, we need to think about what it means then to be watchful in it with thanksgiving there at the end of verse 2. So, to be watchful, thinking about it this way, the watchman sitting on the wall, staying alert for danger, for, for opposition coming, to be watchful is to be on guard, on the lookout, actively concerned. Is that the way, brothers and sisters, we approach prayer? Do we approach prayer with a watchfulness and alertness, or do we do it haphazardly? Do we do it casually? We're called to be watchful in it with thanksgiving. To, to be watchful in it with thanksgiving is to recall all that God has already done. Even for the Colossians, they would have been being reminded of all that they that Paul had already said, I give thanks to God for this, for the hope of the gospel that you have heard, for the hope laid up for you in heaven that is secure. This should be coming back to the Colossians' minds as well as ours as we close out this letter. To be watchful in prayer with thanksgiving, we focus on what God has already done. We focus on it in such a way that that is our first priority in prayer. We're giving thanks to God. We're in communion with our Heavenly Father and thanking Him for His goodness and His kindness to us. Because when we fail to pray with watchfulness and thanksgiving, our prayers begin to be corrupted. Our prayers become more wants and desires than they do things of God. If we're not careful to be watchful in our prayers with thanksgiving, we're often thinking that prayer is more of a genie in a bottle or a magic wishing well. We only go to God because we want something else. We don't have enough. We have idols in our hearts that are consuming us more than the thoughts of God. And therefore, our prayers, when we fail to see them, is most of the time not because God is keeping something from us, but because our prayer requests are so filled with wanting idols instead of God. Let us think about that. Paul, Paul is driving here the way for the Colossians to avoid asceticism, the way for them to avoid false teaching is to be watchful in prayer with thanksgiving. Thanking God for what he's already done. Grounding them back in that hope of the gospel which is laid up for him. How many of us are laboring to pray with this kind of heart of thanksgiving. John Piper puts it this way as he thinks about prayer. In his book, Let the Nations Be Black, he says, Prayer is primarily a wartime walkie-talkie for the mission of the church as it advances against the powers of darkness and unbelief. We need to see prayer as a means to wage war against Yes, our king has defeated every power, every authority. He has defeated death. And yet, while we still live in this world, the wages of sin will still be at war against our Christian, our, our flesh. 
sin will still wage war against our flesh. And therefore, we need to be watchful in prayer with thanksgiving, guarded against this. We need to see prayer as a means of advancing the kingdom, not only in reaching the lost, which we'll turn to in point two, but even for our own sanctification. Think about how often when people ask us for prayer requests, what do we give? Is it actually something of, hey, I'm really struggling with this in my walk with Christ. Will you pray for me in that? Or is it shallow and vague? If prayer is to be a way of waging war against sin, waging war against the flesh, then we must be more intentional in striving to deeper prayers. So next time somebody asks you for a prayer request, why don't you be vulnerable and share what you're struggling with. Not so they can look down upon you, so they can pray for you and love you and uplift you to our Heavenly Father. Because if He's who we depended upon for the first time in sinning Christ, how much more should we stay dependent upon? That's one other reason we struggle with prayer. We fail to rightly see it, but we're often unwilling to humble ourselves. We're unwilling to humble ourselves to the point of saying, Lord, I'm helpless. I can't do this. Help me, Lord. Brothers and sisters, let our pride die. Let us humble ourselves and see that we need God to work through the power of His Word and the power of His Spirit. And when we do that, let's pray. We humble ourselves to pray and see that we are to be constant in this for our sake and for one another's. We do not need to see prayer as a magic or wishing well. We need to see it as advancing the kingdom of God, labor against sin. Not only is Paul calling us those to pray in this way, he says there in verse 3, at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. In this, he says, at the same time, pray this, but at the same time, also pray for us as we labor for the gospel. Pray for us in these two ways, which is open us to us a door for the word. That's the first request there. The second is that he may make it clear. So open a door for the gospel and to make it clear. So as think about this opening a door, this is essential for praying. Help me have gospel opportunities. Help there be opportunities to evangelize. Help there be opportunities to, to declare this gospel, Lord. I'm praying that not only you open these doors in the sense of giving me the opportunity, but that you do the work to go ahead of the enemies. How many of us, when we think about evangelism, ever actually 
hopes too that it will stir their own heart so that they go out and declare the same gospel. That they would model this in their own lives as well. Christian, don't let us just say, oh, we need to do evangelism and never pray for you. Let us cover our evangelism in prayer that we are so ready when those doors are open and we see them so clearly. It's like, uh, hello, gospel opportunity, boom. Build 
the gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ, what he has done to save sinners such as us and draw us to himself. Therefore, let us wrestle. Let us Let us be clear with the end. We don't need to go into justification by faith. We don't need to talk about sanctification in a gospel presentation. We need to present a desperate need of Jesus. And the answer in Jesus. That's it. So help us to be clear. Help us to pray like Paul. To be clear with our gospel presentation. Which he adds on there even in verse 4. That I may make it clear. Which is how I ought to speak. We don't need to work constantly. Let's be clear with the gospel. In its full simplicity. It really is that simple. The problem is us being too scared to, to go and do it, or us not trusting in its power to actually work in that simplicity. God has, has used what is foolish to shame the wise. Will we be too shame proud to go and share that simple message? Or do we try and overcomplicate it by making things Be faithful. Scripture back 
Take Colossians 1, 9 through 14, Paul's prayer for the church of Colossae, and pray it for yourselves, and pray it for fellow members of this church. Pray using scripture. Take a psalm. There, there's the psalms, there's 150 of them. Most months, with the exception of February, have 30 or 31 days. There's five sets of 30 in the psalms. Take a psalm a day. Today is the 29th, so you can pray Psalm 29, Psalm 59, Psalm 89, Psalm 119, and Psalm 149. You can pray, read one of those psalms and pray it back to the Lord. That's how we guide our prayers. That way we keep from the idols of our heart and praying selfish requests. Pray God's word back to him so that our hearts may conform to his word. And that we may actually pray God's prayers. And then, fifthly, pray alternating between prayers of confession and prayers of thanksgiving. Each Sunday morning, with the exception of during the Advent season, while we do the Advent readings, I alternate every week or every two weeks between a prayer of thanksgiving and a prayer of confession. Maybe you've noticed this in the bulletin. Right here's why I do this. Because it teaches us how to pray those type of prayers. It teaches us corporately to confess our sins. Therefore, we're asking the Lord to work in our hearts to, to flee from those sins. But then it also teaches us to give thanks to God, modeling this very keeping, watching prayer with thanksgiving. It models us what we should be thankful for, namely Christ and what he's done, and God's faithfulness to preserve his church for over 2,000 years. Brothers and sisters, we have much to confess and we have much to be thankful for. Alternate between these as you pray. Now, moving from point one to point two. There in verse five it says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, Season with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Therefore, as we, we think about this call to walk in wisdom, it, it's mimicking in, and Paul's bringing back his, his already written word in Colossians 1.10, where he's praying that the Colossians would grow to walk in wisdom, to walk in the understanding and, and basically the application of God's word in their He's calling this attention. Not only do I pray that you do this, that you walk in this wisdom, now you walk in this wisdom not only towards your pastor or your fellow church members, you walk in wisdom towards those outside. Who's he talking about outside? It's those that are outside the kingdom of heaven, those who are lost, who have not believed in the gospel. Christian, do you realize we are called to walk in wisdom towards those that are unbelieving? Maybe even more so than our fellow Christian and pastor. Why does this matter? Does it matter? Absolutely. We walk in wisdom towards them because we must realize that time is of the essence. That we're to model Christ. And how can we model Christ if we're walking in folly towards outsiders? It's easy for us to get caught up in, in jokes or, or that are a little raunchy with those that 
me tell you a story. When I was working my way through seminary, I was serving at Tech Story House as a server. And at one point, there were nine of us from the seminary that were servers there. We had lots of people. We had uh, a gay manager. We had uh, several that were, were very anti-Christian. And yet, the difference in those conversations was the way each of us carried ourselves. Out of that nine, there was at least six that most of them didn't pay much attention to when we spoke. Why? Because they didn't redeem the time. They were not walking in wisdom towards outsiders. They were short-tempered with them. They were short-tempered in the kitchen. They didn't help them carry out their side work and back work. The other three of us that were doing those things, we didn't get see a lot of fruit. But I know personally, me and one other girl were told, I can't agree with you, but I must respect you because of the way you walk, the way you live out your lives. Brothers and sisters, one of the biggest hindrances for us in the gospel is not walking in wisdom towards outsiders. We can come in here on Sunday morning, clean up, and act our best, but the moment we step out here, what are we doing? If we are to win people to Christ in Central City, Centralia, and to the ends of the earth, we must walk in wisdom, redeeming the time, and walking in a manner worthy of Christ. We must represent Christ. But what did Christ do as those who mocked him, as those who rejected him? He was winsome. Even as he was nailed to the cross, he said, Father, forgive them, for they not know what they do. Let us be and let us redeem the time, seeing that there are people around us every day. If you go to the store, if you go to my gas, if you are walking in your neighborhood, there most likely is somebody there who does not know the gospel. They may know of Jesus, but do they know why Christmas is important? They may come on Easter Sunday, but do they know why the resurrection actually matters? They may have grown up and even said, oh, you know what? I ask Jesus into my heart. I, I walk in on baptized, but they don't know a bit more of the gospel. They were never asked, what is the gospel? Why do you come here? Brothers and sisters, we cannot assume people around us know Jesus. We must redeem our time wisely, seeing that people are lost and dying and going to an eternity in hell. Not because there's not a means to save them,
more along the lines of Matthew 5.13, uh, the idea that salt being a preservative. If we're seasoned with salt and our speech is speaking redemptively, that is speaking truth in wisdom and gentleness, then we're speaking life into that person. We're preserving them because we declare the gospel. Let us be gracious in how we speak, and let our speech be seasoned with salt, speaking life into those around us. Let us strengthen one another, but let us also go and declare this to those who have gathered to hear. Let us be seasoned with salt. Therefore, as we walk in Christ, as we grow to we must give people that are consistently being given in prayer, but being watchfulness in how we live towards outsiders. Taking the gospel, <coughs> declaring it. You know, even as we think about this Advent season, as we think about Christmas, it's a perfect time of year to share the gospel. For the very Christmas message is this the Son of God came, took on human flesh to live. Jewish Christian and a Gentile believer were to unite, if a slave and a free were to unite, even back as, as we saw in Colossians 3 11, I won't turn there for the sake of time, we are called to be united in this message. And that's what Paul means, even as he, he says, Remember my chains. He's not asking for pity for himself, he doesn't even ask for prayer to get out of those chains. He has to open doors, so whether to write and encourage other believers for the gospel to go out, or that the circumstance indeed would change, maybe. The point is, Paul saying, remember my chains, isn't about him wanting pity. Saying, remember my chains, and what got me here. It was declaring this gospel, which draws us all together. This comes after all these readings. He wants them to be bound together. To be united. Brothers and sisters, do we realize that gospel is to be the common thing that unites us? I can care less to have a church that is, is all like-minded politically and not united on the gospel. We can be united from background and race, but if we're not united around the gospel, we've missed the point. The gospel call is more powerful than any social background more powerful than any political background, it's more powerful than any economic background or social status. The gospel draws us together because it is the hope of the lost. It's the hope of the broken. We have a hope in this gospel. And that, my brothers and sisters, is what is to unite us. Let us be then, as this gospel unites us, unites us. Let us then be about this gospel and how we live our lives. Let our, gospel, our lives be given to this very gospel. 
Same way.